This Week in Wealth is powered by Alpha Wealth Group. If you're serious about retirement and have saved $250,000 or more, call Alpha Wealth Group's Tom Fortino now, 630-934-1855 or alphawealthgroup.com. Alpha Wealth Group, retirement made simple. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to This Week in Wealth. I'm Elise Glink. I'm the CEO of Best Money Moves, my financial wellness company. And I'm Tom Fortino, the principal and founder of the Alpha Wealth Group, we're a wealth management firm right here in the Chicagoland area. We provide income planning, estate and tax planning, of course, overall retirement planning. And I hope uh, you also provide a packet of, uh, you know, stomach pills because, wow, <laughs> it has been really crazy. This is uh, this week. I, th- I think everybody, we need to start with the banking crisis. I haven't seen people standing in line to empty their bank accounts since the Great Recession 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, you know, unfortunately, I think too there was some people were I don't know tweeting out or sending messages out to say, hey, get your money out. And so that certainly didn't help the situation, but we have to understand, you know, it is a fractional reserve banking system. The money is not all sitting back there. So when these things happen, yeah, it can be a little uh, unsettling, so to speak. Oh, I see. I think that's, uh, you know, under undercounting. It's just, uh, yeah, the master of the understatement, Tom Fortino. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think we ought to explain a little bit about what's going on because it's become, uh, it's interesting. We watched two big banks and while Silicon Valley Bank isn't a mega bank, it's not Bank right. of America, uh, for example, it had 200 and what, 19 or 209 billion dollars of assets and mm-hmm. another almost 200 billion in deposits. That's not a small number, right? It's not a small number. I mean, relative to the deposits across the country and so on, when you're talking in the tens and tens of trillions, over 20 trillion, but this one has a lot of layers to it, you know, and some of it is, you know, it's a combination of things that really cause this. And so there's a lot of takeaways from this. There was mismanagement. Also, it didn't help the fact that, well, when we take a look at banks, right, there's two functions when you look at a bank, when you put money in there's, you know, there, there's loans. And that's where there's this credit risk on that money that you deposit. And there's also this duration risk in these bonds. And that was kind of part of it, too, because, you know, the assets they hold on hand were these treasuries. And when interest rates went up in, in fact, the fastest pace ever from basically zero to five, um, roughly, you know, the valuation. And maybe there's some takeaways here for the average investor say, okay, understanding more about these bonds, too. But. This is what happened, and you know, there's the liquidity and all of these things. I don't want to say a perfect storm, but it was a combination of a lot of things that occurred here. Right. So when you're holding treasuries, you know, and the interest rate goes up, the value mm-hmm. of what you're holding goes down. And so what had happened with Silicon Valley Bank is, and I've been reading, I th- think the Wall Street Journal has had really excellent coverage on mm-hmm. this, as, as they should, by the way. Um, you know, what happened was last year and the year before, uh, Silicon Valley investors piled all this money into their um companies that they invested in, right? And so, you know, you, you invest $10 million or $100 million into a company. I mean, we know that there are companies that Google has invested a half a billion dollars in, right? Mm-hmm. Microsoft, they're, they're throwing billions of dollars into these companies. And so the money has to go somewhere, right? And as a as a small business owner, a tech company, I can tell you when you get investments in, you don't spend them all in the first five minutes. Mm-hmm. Like that money is supposed to last for a couple of years. So what do you do? You put it in the bank. 
Mm-hmm. And you think it's going to be safe there, although you know in the back of your head that those funds are only guaranteed up to $250,000, or if a bank is really clever about it, maybe it's a couple of million. But it's certainly not, let's say, $500 million, right, mm-hmm. per account. Right. And, in, and in Silicon Valley Bank, 37,000 companies had funds in their accounts, their business accounts, that exceeded the $250,000, 90%. So there was a lot of cash that got put in. So banks have to take that cash and do something with it, right? They've got to go loan it out. But Mm -hmm. you can't loan out billions of dollars overnight, right? Especially when people aren't taking out mortgages because the interest rate went high, to your point, so quickly. And there weren't enough cars to buy, right? So you Mm -hmm. didn't need some car loans. Like That was the the production shortage that we saw um, and the supply chain problems we've been talking about the last few years. So they couldn't do car loans. They weren't doing bank loans. uh, They weren't doing as many business loans. They had to put the cash somewhere to earn some sort of return Mm -hmm. because... Inflation was high, you know, right? So they've got to make up some of that money. So what did they do? They bought treasuries, Mm -hmm. right? And so to your point, buying treasuries is supposed to be this incredibly safe thing, but then Mm -hmm. sometimes it isn't. So I want you to explain a little bit more about that because what happened when interest rates went up is the value of those Mm -hmm. went down. And there's something called mark-to-market that mm-hmm. banks have to do that real people don't do. And we haven't talked about this. I haven't talked about mark-to-market in 15 years, but I think it's yeah. relevant here now, isn't it? Well, it is. I mean, there's this, I think it's tough because when we look at the bond market, first of all, the bond market is much larger than the stock market. So there is a market where bonds are traded. I mean, maybe I'm stating the obvious, but there's ca- when you look at bonds, there's, you know, if, if, if we didn't learn anything from last year, <laughs> look at what happened in the bond market, that piece of your bond portfolio, this, the 60, 40 portfolio, we experienced it. So I guess that, you know, this was a personal experience for probably a lot of us. What that means is that the value of the bonds goes down. So, you know, if you're holding a bond, like for instance, the treasury, in fact, I think it was 2020 maybe, or was it 2020? The 10 year went under 1% for the first time in the history of the United States. Yeah. Now we're looking at a treasury. Of course, it's kind of bounced around recently, but it was almost as high as 4%. But keep in mind, if you own a treasury, and this is true for any types of bonds, it can be because there is what's called interest rate risk. What does that mean? That means you buy a bond that pays a certain coupon, you get a certain yield off it, a certain rate. Well, in the market, if all of a sudden you can go out and buy a 10-year that's paying 4%, guess what? Your bond that's paying 1% is not worth as much. So that means the value of it, if you try to sell it or liquidate, and it's with these banks that hold all these treasuries that are paying very low interest rates, you know, the value of their assets, the value of their bonds is much less. It could be 90 cents on the dollar. It could be 80 cents on the dollar. Because again, if you try to sell that, you can think of any type of asset that you try to sell that doesn't have much yield or very low, very low relative to the market. Guess what? you cannot sell it for as much. So we have to understand this relationships with bonds. If you own the, own the bond to the duration, a 10-year bond, a five-year bond, corporate bonds, you know, technically you're supposed to get all the funds back. Um, there's not supposed to be a credit risk with government bonds. You should get every penny back at the end of that year or end of the period of time you own it. Just in the meantime, you may get a much lower yield. So there's a lot of things we have to understand with bonds and how they work in our portfolio and maybe that shouldn't be all of our fixed assets when we have a portfolio. Yeah, maybe not. And and bonds have been so 
not great. And, and we'll talk about that in a minute. We have to take a quick break, but I want to continue on this because mm-hmm. we didn't just watch Silicon Valley Bank close. We also watched Signature Bank close. Mm-hmm. And there's been other banks that are under um, tremendous pressure as well. And I think it's worth, uh, you know, this, that's why we call the show This Week in Wealth. There has just been a huge change in the amount of wealth and where mm-hmm. it's spreading yeah. around. And we want you to be on top of that. Stay tuned for more of This Week in Wealth on 720 WGN. Welcome back, everybody, to This Week in Wealth. I'm Elise Kling with Best Money Moves, and I'm here with Tom Fortino of Alpha Wealth Group. He's based in Oakbrook Terrace. If you want to talk to Tom or you want to ask either of us a question, give us a call, 630-934-1855. You can go to alphawealthgroup.com as well. And, you know, we know that these are really crazy, uncertain times, and the stock market is all over the place and bonds, which we just started talking about. And mm-hmm. actually, I want to talk about a little bit later in the show, the fact that commercial bonds are now over, in some cases, 5%. Um, you know, it, it's just it's such a confusing time. So if you've got questions for us or for Tom, you want to talk to him about your portfolio, 630-934-1855 is the number to call. All right. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about... Um, you know, how the federal uh, FDIC just stepped mm-hmm. in. They shut down Silicon Valley Bank. But there was a second bank that also failed, Signature Bank. Signature Bank was really a darling of the crypto industry, which, you know, the crypto industry had a very rough <laughs> 12 months, I would say. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this is, you know, but there's a lot of cash. I mean, Silicon Valley Bank was the 16th biggest bank in the country, mm-hmm. second biggest failure ever. Um, Signature Bank wasn't quite that big, but it wasn't small. And one of the things that's interesting about both of these banks is I think it shows how interconnected the global <clears throat> banking world is because other banks and other financial services companies had investments in both of those mm-hmm. banks that were pretty significant, Right. Yeah, I mean, that's why you hear this concern where they use the term contagion. You know, I always pause. I just, the drama sometimes, I wish they wouldn't do this sometimes in the media, but because we don't want to cause any type of, I guess, panic, if you want to call it that. But yes, these a lot of these things are linked together when there's debt owed. You know, there's investments in these others and there's a third party uh, risk and so on. This is what this is, is talking about. And so that's one of the concerns. Does this start to, this ripple effect and now it starts impacting other people that have investments or are exposed to this. So we have to be very careful. I don't think we're going to see, you know, 2008 was, we can talk about that. I don't know if we should, but a little different, obviously, but a lot different, I should say. But, a lot uh, different. Yeah. I, I, I think, yeah. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I think these are more, these are more isolated instances with some of these banks. In fact, some would have argued that, you know, uh, the Silicon Valley Bank could have been sold. There's still assets there. Um, well, they sold part of it, right? I mean, HSBC in Hong Kong mm-hmm. uh, bought the UK and Hong Kong divisions of, of Silicon right. Valley Bank. Mm-hmm. And we should point out that, again, these banks aren't just like U.S. They've branched out all over the mm-hmm. world to help, you know, whatever their constituencies are. Yeah. And so, you know, as an, as an individual, again, when you're looking at this say, okay, how is this going to impact me? Uh, I've received some emails on it, you know, but, and I don't know if you have, Elise, uh, but people are uh, concerned. Of course. What, what are they- know, why shouldn't they? I, I get it. You know, this is emotional stuff. It's your money. Yeah. Right. And I, I agree with that. I understand it. 
I mean... What are their concerns? What are some of the concerns you've heard? Well, one was, should I take my money out of my bank account? You know? Oh, gosh. <laughs> and um, again, I... You know, I get it. I'm not here to say, wow, that's not that's irrational. I get that. Right now, you talk about the FDIC and having the two. It's interesting. Years and years. I've been doing this long enough where I had clients that were, you know, that era of the of the depression and so on. They come in with six or seven bank accounts. It was not funny, but it was kind of it's like, why do you have so many bank accounts? Well, they went through this. I mean, this not this, but years ago where banks were failing. They had multiple bank accounts. And I'm not suggesting you need that many uh, accounts. You can also park money if you like to. I shouldn't say park, whatever. Put money. You could put it Fidelity, TD Ameritrade, these places that aren't necessarily banks. I mean, uh, you know, these are just things that you can consider doing. But, again, I, I don't think this is going – we're going to see this. There's a, there's a lot of – unfortunately, a lot of pressure, I think, because what happened with the zero interest rates for 13 years or 14 years – there's just, I guess, for lack of a better word, maybe unwinding that's going to have to take place. You just can't all of a sudden, again, go to zero to 50, zero to 60, and then just expect no uh, consequences to this. But most right. of these banks, I think, are okay. Well, so let's talk about the fact that the FDIC decided over the weekend as they watched everything deteriorate, right? So in 48 hours, they shut down Silicon Valley Bank. Um, and then they had to make the decision, can they find somebody to buy it? And the answer is they, they turned down one of the offers that they mm-hmm. got. They sold the UK and the um, Hong Kong portions of the bank for a pound, literally one pound, a dollar <laughs> twenty. Um, obviously, they had to take on you know whatever yes, that risk is. They, they own it. They own it. Uh, but the um, but they've turned down, and so the Fed. I don't know if it's the Fed or the FDIC is actually operating. Silicon Valley Bank in, I guess it's somewhat akin to bankruptcy, although it isn't. I don't mm-hmm. think it's a cons- – maybe it's a conservatorship. I'm not really sure. But, you know, what's interesting to me is the fact that they decided over the weekend that they were going to protect all the deposits. Like, mm-hmm. it didn't matter that these inv- Silicon Valley investors had $10 million or $100 million in the account. The idea that 37,000 businesses wouldn't be able to make payroll – Mm-hmm. was too frightening even for them and then they went backwards and they said we're going to protect everybody all the deposits at signa- uh, the signature bank um, and then they decided that all the investors were just going to lose their money the ones who would actually were the owners of those right. banks stockholders stockholders and shareholders mm-hmm. whatever um, and it's interesting because when you talk about your clients bringing in you know seven or eight bank accounts, all they're trying to do is stay under the two hundred fifty thousand per per social mm-hmm. security number, you know, mm-hmm. limit per per institution. There is actually technology out there that allows you to do that across any number of banks. And what they mm-hmm. do is they will uh, move your deposit money around so it's getting the highest interest, but it also makes sure it stays under the two hundred fifty thousand. Mm-hmm. Uh, numbers so that you're as protected and and that's sort of interesting too um mm-hmm. i yeah. i guess you know we just have a minute left in this segment and there's so much more to say here tom but you know i don't think anybody needs to be afraid that their bank is going to fail do you i, I mean or if think- it fails that they'll lose their money is what i mean Right. I don't think it's, again, at that level. Most of these banks have, you know, the assets to back it up. You know, this is, I don't want to say it's a one-off. There could be other banks out there, but I don't think across the board you're going to see uh, these, uh, you know, a smattering of banks just starting to fail one after the other. 
Yeah. No, I don't think so either. And I think anybody that, that is worried about that, I think you should give Tom a call so he can talk you down off the ledge. Just go to Alpha Wealth Group. Dot com, Tom's website, alphawealthgroup.com, and you can sign up there, or you can call 630-934-1855 and leave us your email address and name on the, on the line. All right, we're going to take a short break. We'll come back uh, and talk about who are these people. You'll find out more next on 720 WGN. Welcome back to the second half of This Week in Wealth. If you're just joining us, I'm Elise Glink, CEO of Best Money Moves, my financial wellness company, and I'm here with Tom Fortino, the founder and principal of Alpha Wealth Group. You can leave us questions, comments, feedback on the show at alphawealthgroup.com. That's Tom's website, or 630-934-1855. Would love to hear from you. So, Tom, I want to, you know, move on to something else that was in the news this week. Mm-hmm. Um, so, did you ever read an article and ask yourself, who are these people? Uh, there was a survey of investors uh, across the world, uh, by the way, not just in the U.S., and they all said that you now need between 3 and $5 million to retire comfortably. Okay. And I just wanted to know... What's your reaction when you hear a number like that, right? And and then let's go a little bit deeper and go, and exactly how much income can 3 to $5 million safely generate? Sure. You know, it's interesting because, you know, I see so many people and a lot of, there's, there's just such a variation of, hey, here's what we need in retirement, how much they have put aside. The one thing I always say is we have to differentiate income from assets, right? I mean, if I have two school teachers that have an $80,000 each or whatever they may be, have pensions, you know, they have $160,000 or $150,000 of income coming in regardless of their assets, regardless of this three or four million or five million, that's a pretty nice thing. So when we talk about income, social security, which we've had a lot of feedback on the lease, I've had a number of calls since we've talked about it on the social security decision or claiming strategies, that's okay. income. So regardless of, they have the three, again, the three or five million, that income comes in, that check comes in every month. So one of the things that I focus on when I, when I meet with people, we're talking, I said, what is your income plan? Annuities can be part of that too. Again, a lifetime income. So I didn't mean to backtrack on that, but I just <laughs> want to differentiate between those things. And when we talk about this pot of money, because technically there is not, now you can say there's a probability, there's not a guarantee, but there's a probability if you have three Let's say let's split the difference between three and five. Let's say four million. Okay. We we know about the four percent rule, but let's be more conservative. Should you be able to take three percent? And don't forget, let's not forget inflation because you have to take a little more off each year. But should you be able to take off three percent of four million? Well, that's one hundred twenty thousand. Yeah, it's a pretty high probability you're going to be able to take off three percent per year during your retirement years. There's a lot of other things to consider, but I would say that's a pretty, again, high probability. Not a guarantee, but a very high probability. All right. So 3% on your $4 million is uh, 120000 a year. Mm-hmm. And when you say it like that, that doesn't seem like much. And that's whether that's including leaving behind something to your kids or that's just, you know, basically getting to the end of your life, no matter how long it is, and you're, you've still got money mm-hmm. in the bank, right? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, you know, you could probably go a little high. I'm being extremely conservative on this. It could just say 4% and still. I know, again, there's been this back and forth on that, which now it's 160000 a year. Yeah, probably. That's, again, it's still a pretty high probability 
that you will not run out of money. And I do agree, you will probably leave something behind. Um, and you can run, the nice thing about this, and again, we've talked about it at least, you can run this modeling and you can run the analysis and show by numbers, not just opinion, how it works. I do it all the time where I test someone's plan and I show them and you can see the numbers and hopefully that gives you some level of confidence. All right. I have to say that I, I understand <clears throat> now when people say they need between three and five million because if you <laughs> only are taking out, <clears throat> excuse me, three or four percent, that's like $160,000 a year. And if you're living, you know, in a nice house, in a nice neighborhood, and, you know, right now you're spending $160,000 a year on your expenses, you might think to yourself, I'm going to need all of that in retirement mm-hmm. to keep things going. But there are, I think, ways to, you know, change that a little bit. And plus, the $160,000 a year doesn't include what you would get from Social Security. So to your point, Mm -hmm. you know, you might get another, you know, between you and your spouse uh, or partner, another $70,000 on top of that. So your $160,000 is now $230,000. And then Mm -hmm. maybe you've got a pension as well because you're one of the lucky ones. Um, Or you're going to keep you know, consulting or working or whatever. But I can start to understand why people might say a million dollars just doesn't go as far as it used to. Well, that's a true statement. I mean, (laughs) because, (laughs) you know, we've talked about the rule of 72, you know, and how when you start talking about inflation and you're in retirement now, we have life expectancies. You know, if you're age 65 as a male, you're going to live to roughly 84, female 87. and, And one of you could live to over 90 easily. Those numbers really start to, you got to pull off more. And that's what you have to remember, too. You're pulling off more and more every year. You know, over a 20-year period, you may have to pull over twice as much. So those numbers really, again, this is why when you run the numbers and you take a look at it, you start to uncover things you may not have been aware of. And that's what's interesting about it. That's why it's so important. When we talk about that pot of money, and you mentioned it, let's not forget there hopefully are other sources of income, Social Security. This is to supplement hopefully in your plan, part of your income. We mentioned annuities before. I've given the example. This is just an example and an illustration you should check on your own. But a couple age 60, if they put 500000 of this $4 million and used an annuity, by the time they're 65, that would give them over $37,000 a year for both of their lifetimes. Again, that's an income stream. So there's a lot of ways to approach this. And how do you create a plan where you're comfortable, you have income throughout your life, and you're not, you know, just hoping this money lasts for the rest of your life. So there's, there's, a, there's, a, I think there's a balance here. Yeah, I also think we should talk about when it gets super expensive. And I, you know, my, you know, family members and friends who have, you know, family that are older, you know, in their 80s and 90s, you know, we've watched some of them need round-the-clock care. Mm-hmm. Uh, that can be very expensive. Whether you stay in your own home or you have to move somewhere, you could easily start spending two, two fifty, three hundred thousand dollars a year on that kind of care, mm-hmm. plus the cost of the the home you're living in and whatever else you need there. And so, you know, even if you have three or four million dollars, you can use it up at a fairly clip. You know, three hundred thousand is not four percent. Four million. It's a lot more than that, and so you can start to use up your principal in a way that I think is, um, you know, can be very worrisome for people. Yeah, and that's why when we talk about, I always say when I define a retirement plan, I look at five pieces. Right? It's not just about the income piece. It's not just about the investments. What are you doing to minimize taxes? What are you doing to protect the pot? Like we talk about, whether it's long term care or life insurance. 
those are parts of it. And that's this five pieces to your retirement, or I call it the five simple steps or the five pillars. Again, that's available for anybody who wants it. But that's how we want to view our plan. It's not just about one thing. It's about all of these things coming together. So to your point, what happens if a spouse passes away? Well, Social Security goes away. A pension can be reduced. What happens if a spouse has a long-term illness? Now we have to come out of pocket. Are we incorporating these things into the plan? Right. And and what are we thinking about? All of this is so worth having a conversation about. You can call us with your questions, 630-934-1855. Go to alphawealthgroup.com. We're going to take a break, uh, come back, uh, talk a little bit about 401ks, uh, since we're talking about pots of retirement money. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that everybody's a little nervous about that right now with the way the market's been up and down. You're listening to This Week in Wealth on 720 WGN. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to This Week in Wealth. I'm Elise Glink, here with Tom Fortino. You can reach us at 630-934-1855, alphawealthgroup.com, alphawealthgroup.com. So we've been talking a lot about the stock market, and you know, anytime you wake up in the morning and the futures are down like 600 points, we've had a few days mm-hmm. like that over the last few weeks. You know, it's enough to just make you not sleep anymore. Um, and, you know, when you look at the numbers in the 401ks, uh, according to Fidelity, who is one of the, if not the largest um, investment uh, advisor, are they the largest now, 401k company? I think they are. I think they are, yeah. Anyway, they're, they're big. One of the largest. Yeah, they're certainly big enough. Well, according to Fidelity, the average 401k lost 20% of its value last year, and the number of 401k millionaires has dropped more than 30%. Well, so that's kind yeah. of sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've yeah, made it's, some. Yeah. <laughs> it's never fun to go backwards. So, yeah, no. it's it's tough. And if you're over, you know, 59 and a half, you're looking at this going, why didn't I take cash it all out last year and then take it out of the bank and then stick it in my mattress? That's, I'm sure, what you're thinking about, or at least that's what I was thinking. Um, So, you know, we talked a little bit about annuities, but uh, I think it's, you know, worth noting that the average 401k account balance is a far cry from the three to five million people say they need to retire. The average is now 103,900. That's, that's not much, right? Well, you know, I mean, a lot of these numbers, and I know that's something that you uh, stay on top of, at least as far as these statistics when it comes to retirement. The average number that people have put aside for retirement, some of this stuff is a little, a lot lower than some may think. And so, yeah, it's unfortunate, but a little disheartening. But, you know, it's just a matter of uh, hopefully you can, we can do what we want. I always get, sometimes I get the question, or fairly often, is it too late? It's never too late. It's always a good time if you can do some things, you know, to try to increase your savings and put some money away. But yeah, those numbers are a little lower than you would expect. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Um, I guess at the end of 2021, Fidelity said it had 442,000 uh, seven-figure workplace retirement accounts. So a little under half a million millionaire 401k accounts. And now at the end of 2022, it was down to just under 300,000. So it had dropped you know, quite a bit, 30%. Sure. Um, what are some of the things that you recommend people do you know, let's say if you're in your mid to late 50s, you know, what do you do if you've just got seven to 10 years of work time left? Um, you know, what are the options for raising that amount? 
Well, you know, one thing about the systematic contributions and studies have been done even in some of the worst years, if you are continuously putting in money, it doesn't totally eliminate the down years, but I mean, there's been studies that done even over the, if you want to call it the lost decade from 2000 to 2010, people that were continuing to put money in this dollar cost averaging, they were actually up over that 10 year period when the market was down, um, I think over 5% per year. So the advice is not that, you know, we always want to heed this advice, but it was Warren Buffett's, uh, you know, when, when there's fear, it's time to be greedy. When it's greedy, it's time to be fearful, right? But for anyone, if you can just commit the 401k is a great vehicle. So as much as possible, understand your options. Number one, if you're over age 50, you can put up to $30,000 a year. They've increased up to $30,000 a year, 22.5 if you're under age 50. So you can start, maybe you can increase as much as possible. These are things that are going to make a big difference. If you want to start taking advantage of the Roth option, now the money grows tax-free. You can do part of it in tax-free versus the, um, the traditional pre-tax. This is a vehicle that you, if you have employer plans, to really take advantage of this and say, you know what, I'm going to commit myself to understand my options here. And then, of course, understand what your investment options are inside the plan. Make sure, of course, you get the match. And I would say for anyone, understand these plans. I think it's a great vehicle. There's probably a list of five or six things I would ask them. If you do make a call, and maybe that's the call to action from today's show, at least, call your mm-hmm. employer. Find out what you're contributing consider increasing your contribution. Some of us are really not sure. Confirm what the match is. Find out about the Roth options. See if you can do maybe even an in-service rollover where you can move the money to your own IRA if you think that's a benefit. So just really do these things and, and, and find out how to maximize this plan because it can make a big difference on the back end. Yeah, I think that's um, good advice. I, th- I also think you need to just save m- even more, right? So mm-hmm. as a person who's over the age of 50, you can save, I think you said $30,000, mm-hmm. right, in your 401k yep. this year yep. with the catch-up provision. Um, but I think it's you, you might have to go even further than that because, you know, if you – and not to say that $30,000 a year isn't a great amount, but – um, even if you've got 10 years to put that away, your 30000 best case scenario might be a half a million mm-hmm. or it might be a little bit more than that. Still not close to the three to five million people are saying they need, but, you know, and certainly better than 103, right? Yes. Um, but I also think you, you might need to consider some other options sure. like working part time or... Uh, moving to a less expensive place and using your home equity. You know, talk about that for a minute because don't people make that mistake often where they think about their net worth and they include a paid off house as mm-hmm. part of their net worth. But that is really not active cash you can use unless you're doing a reverse mortgage and those pretty much aren't being done anymore. What do you think about that? Yeah, typically I leave the house out of the equation. I think it's more a quality of life and where you live. It's not, and we know with prices you never know. So I don't, I don't include that real estate, your personal residence in. Certainly, if you're going to downsize and at some point, you know, you feel you're going to walk away with some money that you can now add to the pot, that's a little different. But I think to, to your point, when we talk about, you know, when you're spending these things and you have funds, I would say, you know, at a minimum, how many of us really know what we're spending? I think, you know, I have the, these budget worksheets and the asset organizers that I provide to people so they can, number one, discover what their assets are. A lot of people were really not sure. And the budget worksheets, you go through some of these things, you uncover um, accounts you may have forgotten about. You see what your value of your assets are. It really is helpful. And then the budget worksheet, 
which again, I'll email these to anyone. You can, they automatically calculate, you can update them, you can change them. You're going to probably discover again, find out what your, um, you know, what your expenses and what you're really spending on. And I'm, I'm pretty confident you're going to find out things you were totally unaware of. Oh, yes. I think that's, that <laughs> always happens, doesn't it? It's funny because yeah. um, I remember one year uh, Sam said, you know, we keep everything on QuickBooks and uh-huh. Quicken personally, QuickBooks for the business, obviously. And um, so he's looking at our personal expenditures. And he goes, oh, do you want to know what your shoe budget was this year? And I was like, no. <laughs> he's like, no, really, to. really, I would like you to know what your shoe budget was. <laughs> so it's um it, and i was like really i spend that much mm. um yeah and then uh, that was a big year i was giving a lot of speeches and i couldn't okay. find shoes that were comfortable for standing uh-huh. in an hour and a half on a stage okay. um so now i just wear really cool gym shoes all the time so less expensive and more uh, much more com- yeah exactly yeah that's the thing but, you know, to your point, you know, it's really helpful to think about, uh, you know, what you're spending the money on. And I think today what people tend to forget is how much they're spending on all of those monthly costs, you know, like Netflix and yeah. Disney and cable and, oh, do you really need, you know, Hulu mm-hmm. on top of it all? It, it, that stuff adds up. You could easily be spending a couple hundred bucks a month on that and not even realize it. Yeah, and financial organization is one of the biggest obstacles. It gets in it because we just, you know, we go through life and, you, you know, things are okay. But if you sit back and look at it, like we just talked about the 401k lease, about do you really know what you're contributing? You know, people say, well, 10%. Well, what is that? Do you know what it is? Really, if we start to get more engaged, do you know what you're spending every month? Do you know what your expenses are? If one of the accomplishments of today's show was people sat down and completed these things and really took uh, got organized, and that's the starting point, have a f- complete financial snapshot and know what your budget is, wow. I mean, that that's really the springboard to say, okay, now I'm ready to put a plan. Because you know where everything's at. You know what's going on. Now you can take action and, and be, I think, more efficient and effective. Yeah. Right. And if you find out that you really need, uh, you know, $125,000 a year in income and you know that you're only going to get 40000 from Social Security, now you know how you either have to keep working or mm-hmm. you have to save right. and and get it there. So um, yeah. I, I think there's a lot to do. So if you want to get some help with all of this, it's it can be really overwhelming. Tom is available. Give him a call, 630-934-1855. Or like I said earlier, if you just want to be talked off the ledge, um, he's certainly there for that as well. AlphaWealthGroup.com. And on the website, he's got the income planning packet, the estate planning, how to think it through, asset planning, investment plan, tax planning, and then, of course, the budget plan. Uh, That's it for us. We are out of time, as usual. Flies by uh, an hour. Uh, Good good conversation today about, about what's going on with banking. And we hear you, everybody. We know it's scary stuff, and we're here for you. Thanks for listening to This Week in Wealth on 720 WGN. Tom Fortino is an investment advisor representative of Retirement Wealth Advisors, LLC, and SEC Registered Advisor. Alpha Wealth Group, WGN, and RWA are not affiliated. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell any financial vehicle. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals specialized in fields of tax, legal, accounting, or investments regarding the applicability of this information for their situation. Past performance is not a guarantee 
of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Any comments regarding safe and secure investments and guaranteed income streams refer only to fixed insurance products. They do not refer in any way to securities or investment advisory products. Fixed insurance and annuity product guarantees are subject to the claims paying ability of the issuing company and are not offered by retirement wealth advisors. Insurance and annuities offered through Alpha Wealth Group, licensed in Illinois. Tom Fortino and Alpha Wealth Group are not affiliated with or endorsed by the Social Security Administration or any other government agency.